Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of Lit AF with me, your host, Sarah Cohan. I am a relationship and communication coach, and I help folks that deal with things like people-pleasing and codependency, and I help them end those patterns in order to create secure relationships where they're setting boundaries, they're sharing their needs, and they're confidently showing up in a really beautiful, generous, and also generous, but while also able to accept help kind of way. (laughs) That's my work. I love it so much. I'm back here this week with you to continue the series that I started last week. So uh, I'm going to tell more, share more about the dismissive avoidant attachment style. And for those of you that are not familiar with attachment styles, attachment styles are just a way that we can understand our strategies that we used in childhood that we have carried over into adulthood and we use them in relationship with others. So that could mean in our romantic relationships, in our relationship with our boss at work, with our friends, with coworkers, and continuing till this day with our parents and or caregivers. It's a really cool system that I have used personally, and it's allowed me to show up in just a completely different way. I show up confidently in relationships. I share my needs. I'm able to regulate my emotions, and I'm able to ask for support when I need it. So now when I'm in an argument with my husband, I can be like, ooh, I'm feeling this way, and I need this thing from you. Can you give it to me? And if not, when can you? When can you have this conversation with me? When are you able to give me a hug so I can feel regulated within my system? It's one of my favorite things to do at <laughs> this coaching. And before I get into this episode, I, what I always do is I have my own personal check-in. And this week I'm going to share, and I do this every single year on the podcast. So this year is absolutely no different. The seasons are changing. And it's such an epically gorgeous time of year. Yes, I am that bitch. I don't like pumpkin spice lattes, but I'm here to say that I do love this time of year. And it's such a strange time in San Francisco because while everyone else is usually cooling off on the Northern Hemisphere, like September is when the weather starts to turn. I used to live in Chicago and the best two weeks of the year were usually in August or they just finished in September. And then all of a sudden the weather changes and it's like cold and it's legit fall. Here in San Francisco, we this is like when we get our summer. So this is the time that we actually get like consistent sun, beautiful days. There's so many events and activities happening in the city and around the Bay. It's just the absolute best time of year. And my favorite thing is about it is the shadows are getting long. The days are getting shorter. Every moment just during this time of year seems so precious because I feel like in my life, I'm just chasing sun. And so as the days are getting shorter, it just makes the time outside so precious. And knowing that, you know, cold, the cold is, is coming. (laughs) Winter is coming and it's going to just be, you know, short days and a totally different time of year. I try not to be afraid of winter. I'll be real with you. Sometimes I'm like, I just give me the summer, but I really am trying to embrace winter more and more by just appreciating it. Just appreciating all the different seasons that we have right in our lives and also during the year. 
So that's my mood. That's my vibe this week. I'm just soaking it all in. Usually I'm coming home from Burning Man right around this time and like washing all my stuff and really resting because I'm so exhausted usually when I come back. And also like loving humanity. That's usually the biggest bonus of going to Burning Man is I just feel zest for life. And I find myself talking to strangers on the street and getting curious and taking time to like look at things and really take the world in. This year, I did not go to Burning Man. I went to a trip to Mexico, which I talked about the last two episodes. And I still feel that like beautiful love for humanity without the exhaustion. (laughs) of packing up my stuff. But then this year, I'm sure you've all heard that there is a lot of mud on Playa. There's a lot of rain and everyone was asked to shelter in place for at least a day. I haven't gotten the full facts from anyone that's attended, but it was a different year and it was an intense year. And everyone I know that went has just said it was like the most incredible burn. And so I was feeling FOMO before by missing out of the event. Then when the reports about rain came in, I I didn't have that much FOMO. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of like relieved. Uh, But then after, when I saw the man burn, I watched it live on YouTube. It was so beautiful. The fireworks were amazing. I was like, damn, all those people went through some shit together. And like, I wish I had been through that. So yeah, then the FOMO came back. (laughs) Which I knew was going to happen. And look, I'm glad that I had the week, the vacation that I did, it was perfect. It's exactly what I needed. And I look forward to returning to Playa in the future. So that is my update for this week. It was longer than I was planning, but I have things to share. So thank you for listening. And let's get into this week's episode. So the title of this episode is feeling, do you feel like your partner is always defensive? Here's why. So I really want to explain the dismissive avoidant attachment style from the perspective of a fearful avoidant or an anxious attached person. And so what the reason I'm framing it like that is because I hope this helps you understand if you or yourself are in this type of relationship, which is often called an anxious avoidant relationship. It's very common. These two different attachment styles are really attracted to each other. And we're trying to learn things from each other. So the reason that I'm sharing like their perspective from the fearful avoidant and the anxious attachment style is because I hope this helps you understand if you're in a relationship with them. And then hopefully therefore understand a few different like ways that you can strategize how to communicate with them and just understand their needs and what makes them tick and like why they are the way they are and how come they're so different from you. Because it really can be a beautiful thing to heal from if you're both into it. I'm going to start this by saying that all of the characteristics and the patterns that I'm sharing today, everything is from the personal development school. I am a certified attachment coach through the personal development school. It is a phenomenal program. I actually, some of my clients are in the personal development school while they're getting coached one-on-one by me. So it's like, it's a group program that has a lot of different modules. So you can do that in while in tandem while I'm coaching you, which helps you just heal your attachment style much faster. I'm talking like light years faster. Sorry, light years isn't a specific measurement, but years faster. And it can also just help you feel a little bit more. The reason why I think it's actually faster, I just want to really hone in on this because I don't want it to be nebulous, is that when I share and own something about myself that I have deep shame around or that I'm uncomfortable about, 
as soon as I share that with another human being, like in a coaching setting, I'm able to heal from it so much faster. So versus if I'm just doing a lot of worksheets at home and like really going through, you know, going through each module and like learning, but not necessarily sharing what I'm learning with a different human and also getting coached on it to see like where, where I might be. <laughs> the brain is a fun thing. It really, really doesn't like change. It wants to keep you safe. And so I can get into little pitfalls where like, I won't necessarily be showing myself the truth or I won't be honoring my actual needs in a situation. I'll kind of think a little bit smaller. So I just feel like doing this with coaching is actually helps you to get through it faster, be more honest with yourself and process like in real time. So I just want to say that to explain why I think coaching is so important. So everything that I'm sharing is from the personal development school. This work is so powerful. Taze Gibson is one of the co-founders of the school and she is just phenomenal. So I really want to credit everything that I'm sharing with you today and let's get into it. So I'm just going to talk about patterns, common, common patterns for the dismissive avoidant. And while you're listening, you might be like, holy wow, that totally describes someone in your life. Maybe that's just someone close to you, a partner or a caregiver or a friend and I hope it just helps you to have a little bit more compassion with them. And it, this, I want to be very clear. This is not about excusing quote unquote bad behavior. This isn't about enabling someone or not stating your needs and prioritizing other needs, like someone else's needs above your own. That is like not what this is about. What this is about is trying to understand someone deeper so that you can get your needs met in a way that they're comfortable with meeting and in a way that you understand that they're actually getting met. So it's kind of this co-creation that you're doing with this person. So common characteristics of the dismissive avoidant. Very grounded very practical. They are slow to warm up to others. They are extremely, extremely independent creatures. They can be very guarded, especially when they're meeting new people. And they have a very logical and rational side to their brain. Now, the biggest thing about the dismissive avoidant is they are often disconnected from their emotions. And that's because and I really resonate with this attachment style. I just want to say that. That is because emotions weren't safe for them growing up. And there could be a variety of reasons for that. I always try to share this because oftentimes anxious, preoccupied folks. I'm so sorry. You know what? I'm just going to do one little blanket statement before I keep going. If you are new to attachment styles, and if you're wondering like, why the F am I talking about attachment styles on a relationship podcast? It's because... They help us understand how we relate to others. And if you don't know what your attachment style is, I highly recommend going back and listening to that podcast episode 101, where I talk about the four different attachment styles. So that will help you just give a little bit of context. I also have a free quiz on my website. Just go to sarahcohan.com, S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com. Take your attachment style quiz. It'll show you which percentage of each of the attachment styles that you show up as, and then come back and listen to this episode, and it'll make a lot more sense. Okay, so thank you for bearing with me. The dismissive avoidant, often disconnected from their emotions because they weren't safe growing up, and I'm just going to give you a few examples of why. So in my family, emotions were either jeered, mocked at, or a burden to others. 
So if someone had high emotions, it meant that they were in the way of or a burden to someone else in the family. And so I share that because you can say like something blanket like, oh, emotions weren't safe. But when you look at it, sometimes that doesn't quite paint the full picture of what really was going on. So for the dismissive avoidant, they grew up in a household where they weren't consistently being taken care of. And what that meant is emotions are a huge part of growing up and also just being human. (laughs) So this person, if you're dating a dismissive avoidant, they're probably not going to be as free with sharing their emotions as you are. Anxious preoccupieds are typically pretty comfortable with sharing emotion. Emotions weren't necessarily unsafe when they were growing up. And they oftentimes want to share their emotions with others in a way because they, they're really looking toward other people to help them heal. The dismissive avoidant, on the other hand, is looking to themselves to heal. It was not safe to receive any support while they were growing up, which means they're not feeling like, okay, I want you to help me heal. I'm going to go, I'm going to excuse myself. I'm going to get some alone time and I'm going to go heal myself. And then we're going to come back and we're basically going to kind of pretend like nothing happened. That's not necessarily all dismissive avoidance, but there can be a pattern of many dismissive avoidance. So what's going on in their brain, a lot of the core wounds that they are facing is I am defective. There's something wrong with me. They have a really big shame wound. And then the second biggest one is I'm unsafe because there just wasn't a whole lot of safety growing up. Another one is I am or will be trapped. Being trapped is like a big deal for the dismissive avoidant because they have such a high need for freedom and autonomy. So when they feel like their freedom or autonomy is being questioned, they will go to that wound of I am trapped. They can also believe they're incapable of change or that they're weak or that they're not good enough, helpless, or powerless. So those are the biggest core wounds. And core wounds are just stories that we have developed over childhood over time. And so they get to be like bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And as adults, what we can do now through subconscious reprogramming and a lot of other tools is actually rewrite those stories in our brain so that they're not our go-to stories anymore. So we're actually like reprogramming our brain for abundance and for love and for really believing that you are enough. And it is totally possible to change. Common emotions that they deal with are shame, low-level anxiety. Now I'm going to expand on that a little bit more. So I've actually read in some research that actually when some scientists did a, a research study on the anxiety levels of an anxious, preoccupied, and a dismissive avoidant, and actually when they read kind of just the baseline anxiety levels of each attachment type, the dismissive avoidant was actually reading higher on for anxiety. So it's not necessarily that they're displaying the anxiety. It's sometimes that they can just keep that anxiety like really hidden and internal. So they've got this facade of like, oh, I'm so chill. I'm so cool. Nothing's going on here. But inside it's like a high level of anxiety. So just want to make that clear. They can really suffer from the emotion of irritation and impatience. I like resonate with this so much. Frustration, being annoyed, drained, and overwhelmed. So if these, if your partner has these go-to emotions, 
they might be more on the dismissive avoidant end. And just know that like, this is a pretty common emotional reaction for this attachment type. And so knowing that means like, you can ask for help when they're displaying these emotions, such as asking them to hold your hand, giving you a hug, letting you know, like if they need to step out of the room and have a a moment to themselves, like asking them, okay, cool. When can you come back and comfort me, be there for me, or just be able to talk again? So you can try to like get ahead of the emotion. And also I want to encourage you to not take it personally. And I know it's so hard. It is so fucking hard when someone is having such a strong emotional reaction to in front of you part of this work is understanding like a lot of this is just childhood trauma that's repeating itself. So sometimes when we're having a big emotional reaction, we're not even in the room. We're not even in the space. We're not even in this time zone. Like we are 20 years ago having an unsafe or a really traumatic experience where we didn't get our way and it sucked and it hurt. And now we're bringing that same emotional reaction 20 years in the future to a similar situation. So I really hope that you can hear that and say, oh, maybe this large emotional reaction actually has nothing to do with me. And I know that's like, that is the work that is like next boss level, bitch, like being able to not take anything personally. But truly, a lot of emotional reactions are just old, old, old stories that haven't been processed quite yet. So dismisses avoidance have a complicated relationship with boundaries. They tend to set more extreme boundaries. And these can often be very reactionary to something, to a certain situation. They are more likely to set boundaries with actions rather than words. So the dismissive avoidant, the word avoidant is in there. It's so important because They try to avoid conflict as much as possible. They're trying to just that, you know, they have a high need for peace and they have a high need for, yeah, we're just gonna leave it there. They have a high need for peace. So when peace is threatened, they really just want to quickly get back to it as soon as possible without creating any ripples or drama or setting boundaries, right? And setting boundaries is such an important part of life. It's part of living. It's part of being human. (laughs) And it's part of the way that we help people understand how they can love us and how they, we receive love and appreciate love. Like that's part of it. So yeah, they are oftentimes afraid of setting boundaries, but we'll set them from a very reactionary place. And so small boundaries are not necessarily like they're able to set them. It's really those large boundaries that they go to. And then they can feel really trapped when others violate their boundaries. So if they have set a boundary and then somebody crosses it, they can feel really violated, really trapped. Again, they don't want to, they just want to avoid conflict as much as possible. So when that happens, it sets them off again because they're like, God damn it. Now I got to set that boundary again. And it's that I really don't want to do that. It's so tough, right? When you hear that, you're like, oh man, I, I really resonate and have a lot of compassion for that. So their common needs, like I said, are freedom, independence, autonomy. They really like to be understood, accepted, and supported. And they love 
peace and harmony. And they also really need a lot of time to decompress. So they thrive on certainty, stability, and safety. And they love it when they're appreciated and acknowledged. Does that like, don't all of us want that? Like, let's be real. Let's be so real. So if you find yourself in a relationship with someone like this, what I want you to do is when you know what their needs are, that's another like little hack. You can kind of get ahead of of what they need and be able to give that to them when you yourself are setting a boundary or asking for a need. So you can give them acknowledgement. You can give them a little bit of appreciation and just say, hey, I'm loving this relationship. I feel like I'm really supported and I'm seen. There's just, you know, I would love a little bit more help getting a hug after we have these difficult conversations. They, you know, they they take a toll on me. I get scared because I don't know what the future of our relationship may be. So you can get ahead of that and just say, I would just love if you could give me a hug to help regulate after a really tough conversation and just see how that goes. Just use this information to help hack your relationship so that you can give them the support that they need while you're asking for the support that you need. I've seen this happen. I actually have a client right now who runs a little bit more anxious. She has a friendship with a dismissive avoidant. And he will oftentimes not respond to her when she is texting him about making plans. And so what she said to him was, hey, it'd be really great if you could respond to me when I text you, even if you're just saying, hey, like, I'll get back to you in a couple of weeks or I'll get back to you next week, something like that. So that I know that you've read it. I don't feel like I'm being completely ignored or unseen or like unloved, whatever it feels like when you send off a text and you don't hear back from someone. Just asking for that support can be so powerful. And it can also be really, really hard because you can have a lot of beliefs around what it means to ask for help. So that's what coaching is for. (laughs) But I say that story because I want to encourage you to understand like what is your need in this situation and how can you super supportively, positively ask for that need to be met. So, hey, I love our friendship. I want to spend more time with you. I really get hurt when I don't hear back from you when I text you. Would it be possible for you to respond and just say, message received, like I'll respond soon. And he totally said yes to that. And then they changed the way that they're making plans. So instead of making like these long weekend plans where he's not committing, they're going to make shorter plans. So it's like little day trips here and there where it's going to be easier for him to commit to, which I just love. I love that she is understanding his needs, not making up any stories about how he's communicating with her, but also standing very firm and in solidly in what she needs in this relationship. So hope that inspires you. Okay, so typical behavioral coping mechanisms, withdrawing to decompress. So if you're dating someone and they're like, I just need space right now. I just need to go on a walk. I need alone time. This, I have done this so many times in my relationship. This is their way of saying I need to regulate on my own. And that is totally okay for them to regulate on their own. I want you to honor the fact that they need time to regulate on their own and that you operate in a very different way. You are more likely in a situation where you look to others to help regulate for you 
especially if you run a little bit more anxious. And so what I want you to do is honor the fact that you regulate in separate ways and that you can make space for them to regulate on their own. But make sure you're, again, using that example that I shared earlier, asking for your need to be met, whatever it is. I totally understand that you need to leave right now. Can you text me in 15 minutes to t- let me know that you love me? Totally understand you need to leave right now. Please let me know when you're able to come back and have continue this conversation with me. Totally understand that you need to go, you know, decompress right now. I am going to go to my group of girls or I'm going to go to my support network so that I can get regular like help regulating from other people around this situation. Oftentimes we look to our partner to be everything for us. And let me tell you, they're never going to be everything. It is totally okay. But like, you know, you know, you want to like, be careful. Like, am I always going to my friend group to regulate because of my partner? That's not what you want. You want to be going to your friend group to help you regulate as one of your many helpful resources to get back to center. It's like, one one of the many, many, many tools in your chest, in your toolkit that is going to help you get back to center. So another coping behavior they have is stonewalling. Ugh, that means like you it's literally like you can't get past them, right? They're like, maybe they're decided to ignore you. They're not going to respond to your text. They're going to stonewall you so that you just, there's no there's nothing, right? There's no moving past the situation. Another one is ignoring or dismissing. And that is so tough when they get in that mode. My husband does this to me sometimes and it's like the worst. It picks out one of the my deepest core wounds of being rejected or and also being misunderstood. So it can be really, really painful when you're in an argument or a discussion or heated conversation with a dismissive avoidant and all of a sudden they just start dismissing you. Sure, sure, sure. That's what my husband said all the time. Sure, sure, sure. Whatever. You're always right. Yeah, whatever. Oh my God. I'm like, my heart just like sinks when I think about it. And it's so tough because this is, I just, again, want to encourage you to understand that this is nothing to do with you. This is how they learn how to have tough conversations growing up. And again, it's just this outdated programming that needs to be healed. And I encourage anyone who's in a relationship with a dismissive avoidant to have a frank conversation with them about healing their attachment style because there's some beautiful, beautiful healing on the other side. Another thing that they do is numbing or avoiding. So that numbing can be through any sort of addictive substance. It can also be like binging TV, just any sort of like X thing in excess, gambling, sex addiction. There's, you know, a lot of different ways that we numb. And so they can tend to that type of behavior. So common expectations that they have in relationships. This is one of my favorites. Again, from the personal development school, just reminding everyone, this is where it's from. My partner should always be understanding when I need space. So it can be really triggering for them if they need to go and if they need space, they need alone time. This doesn't need to be in a triggering moment either. This can just be at the end of a long day. They need space to decompress. And so when their partner is like, but what about me? But, but, but I, I need you to do this thing with me, but uh, uh, then it can be really, really triggering to them and also make them feel trapped. So I tried like, if you're in a relationship with someone that is constantly trying to like get their alone time, I encourage you to give it to them, give it to them freely 
And if it's hard for you because you need to be around someone else, like if your anxiety is provoked by that, try to find an activity, a friend group, a resource group, maybe it's AA, something like that where you can go to and have another resource of people to help you process what you're going through. It's a very like, again, you just want to really diversify your tools to be able to regulate and you want to be able to give your partner what they need. That's really what this work is about. So when they need space, try to give it to them as much as possible. And if it's really difficult for you, explain to them what is going on for you in that moment. Explain what emotions are coming up. Explain what beliefs are coming up so that they can help you understand and regulate as well. So if, it, if the belief is you're never going to come back, you're going to abandon me, I'm not safe right now after you leave. Like I feel like when you take space that I'm not important, they can help you understand like, oh, actually you are really important to me. And actually this relationship is like so important to me. I love you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be back in two hours, that type of thing. These conversations might sound totally alien to you. And I just want to let you know there's baby steps to this. It doesn't have to be all in, but they're kind of like the direction that I want you to be headed in. Another one is being with a partner shouldn't mean making compromises. That is so tough because relationships are all about compromise. And another one is conflict should not be incurred, incurring in this relationship. So again, like what I talked about earlier with their need for peace and harmony, conflict is really against all of that. So it can be really hard for them when conflict comes up to be able to be in a really regulated place to handle it. So if your partner oftentimes gets like really dismissive and then really combative, really defensive when you're talking to them. I encourage you to try to figure out how you can deliver like what is up, what's bothering you, what you need help with in the most supportive way possible. So you can say something like this, like, I'm not trying to be critical. I love you. And I really, I adore this relationship and I need blah, 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 blah. Right. Like just really trying to start it off. Just let them know that you're there for them and you love them and that you can understand their needs while you're also asking for yours to be met. Another one is my partner and I should meet, should each meet our own needs and then come together without too much investment. So like I was saying earlier, especially the more dismissive they are, the more they want to process by themselves and then come back together and kind of just pretend that nothing has happened. That can be really, really, really hard, especially for someone that runs a little bit more anxious. And then another one is my partner should be the perfect match. Oh my God. They have a note here that says subconsciously seeking this as a strategy to avoid conflict above flaw finding. So what that means is my partner should be the perfect match for me and we're not going to fight ever. So if anything, fighting can come in like direct, like opposition with that. And so they can see that as feeling trapped, feeling helpless, feeling weak, feeling powerless. And so it's really important to try to show as much as possible the person that you're dating, how supportive you can be. That was just really one of the first ways to deal with this and really compassionate and just say, I know you need space. I know that conflict just can be really scary. I'm here to show you how conflict can actually be really helpful. I want to do this in a safe way. I want to support you. I want to 
want to help you like that. We can be true relationship warriors and like help a dismissive avoidant through that. It's not easy. (laughs) And then the last thing I'll share is their common expectations is their level of independence should not change. So I hope this is super helpful for you. If you find yourself in a relationship with a dismissive avoidant, I just, the last thing I want to say is that I, this is like something I truly believe in and it's maybe it's probably not popular opinion. So most people, when talking about being in an anxious avoidant trap, they often use the word trap because it's can be really difficult for anxious avoidance to get out of the situation that they're in. And sometimes it can get so bad that it can actually get like really violent and just not healthy. So what I want to say is, I hope that you can ask your partner to learn how to heal. Some dismissive avoidance will be open to this. I certainly was, but I also lean fearful avoidant with a dismissive avoidant side. I encourage you to ask your partner to start to understand a little bit more about this. Explain in a very supportive way why you think it would be helpful for you to work on this. And then what I want you to understand is that I'm not here to tell you to break up with someone. Like that's not, I don't think that that's my role. You are in charge of your life. You are in charge of what relationship that you're in and what you're committing to every single day. And I do believe that there actually is a way to, for insecure attachment types to heal together in relationship with each other. Like the example I gave earlier about client that is in a friendship with a more dismissive avoidant leading individual. Obviously there's a lot of factors here, like how, how intense their attachment style is, how insecure they are, different, you know, beliefs and story structures that they've got going on. Uh, There's so many other different factors to our relationships beyond our attachment style. And there's just a lot of other things that, you know, affect our, just our day-to-day beyond our relationships. So what I'm trying to say is just because you might be in a relationship with someone that has an insecure attachment type, I don't think that necessarily means that you have to completely abandon ship and like find someone new. I, this is something that I struggled with for years. I got really perfectionistic about the work and I got really perfectionistic about how my partner was showing up with me. And that didn't really serve me. So I'm sharing here because I really passionately believe that we can heal ourselves and then provide a secure attachment towards others. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to completely get rid of this relationship and start fresh. Oftentimes when we do that, we'll find ourselves in a situation with someone really actually similar to who we just broke up with. So I always recommend working on yourself, healing yourself, really trying to get to that secure attachment as much as possible and giving that to others and giving them the chance to receive that, understand that, and then see hopefully how they can also start to heal their attachment style while having very direct communication. I'm always going to advocate for that. (laughs) This isn't mind reading. This isn't just like hoping like, okay, I'm going to show up secure. And then magically they're going to become secure. Not about that. It's about communicating what you need, what you're about, and supporting them as much as possible. So hope that makes sense. Okay. What a fun episode. I'm going to be back here next week talking about the anxious attachment style and the common patterns that they're dealing with. And again, I'll be talking about it from the lens of like, if you're dating someone like this, or if you yourself are like this, 
And yeah, I hope you enjoyed. If you are interested in working on relationship patterns that are just old and outdated, like people pleasing and codependency, I'd love to work with you. I do a one-on-one coaching program and you can book a free discovery call with me to learn what your unique attachment style is and what is possible for you to change. It's really empowering. It's one of my favorite things to do and it's free. It's one hour. So just hop on and you can see if this coaching program is the right fit for you. So if you're interested, you can book a call at sarahcohan.com forward slash coaching. That's S-A-R-A-H-C-O-H-A-N.com forward slash coaching. And I look forward to meeting with you. I, I cannot wait. And okay. So if you enjoyed this episode, I look forward to next week's. It's going to be phenomenal. And I'll see you right here. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.